0: I think what we need to do is explain how our principles of free speech, free inquiry, will help serve the cause of justice. The First Amendment, the constitutional freedom of speech and freedom of conscience that is the bulwark of our democracy.
1: There was a passion in what was being said, affirming this, this what people considered a sacred constitutional right freedom of speech and freedom of association. From the UC National Center for Free Speech and Civic Engagement, this is Speech Matters, a podcast about expression, engagement, and democratic learning in higher education. I'm Michelle Deutschman, the center's executive director and your host. Since October 7th, campus free expression issues have been splashed across the front pages of national newspapers and have been the subject of not one, but two congressional hearings. The last two months have seen an explosion of campus protests, statements from college and university presidents, open letters to campus communities, responses to those letters, student government and congressional resolutions, posters and other forms of expression about the Israel Hamas war. Questions abound about the limits of First Amendment protections, including what constitutes a disruption or a legal threat, about the responsibilities of colleges and universities when students assert they feel unsafe about what happens when a faculty member posts something on their personal social media account that students find deeply offensive and no longer wanna be in that professor's class. Each of these questions warrants its own episode. And in the coming year, we will dedicate time to discussing them. But today we're gonna take a different approach. Rather than look through a legal lens, we're going to shift our focus to campus climate and to what steps administrators are taking to offer support to students and the campus community who've been profoundly impacted by the ongoing war and by the pain that results from speech that, albeit protected, causes many to feel excluded, unsafe, and isolated. Today's guests, Dr. Katja Armistead, Assistant Vice Chancellor and Dean of Student Life at UC Santa Barbara, and Dr. Jeannie Kim, Director of Student Mental Health and Wellbeing at the UC Office of the President, have tremendous experience with responding when there are crises on campus. But before we dive into our conversation with them, let's turn to class notes, a look at what's making headlines. The higher education and political worlds are still reeling from the testimony of Harvard, Penn, and MIT's college presidents last week in front of the House Education Committee. Despite four hours of testimony, one soundbite went viral. Representative Elise Stefanik, a Republican from New York, grilling presidents about whether calling for genocide of Jews violated the code of conduct at their respective schools. The presidents gave legally accurate answers, but were seen as cold and out of touch. Following the hearing, outraged donors, politicians, parents, alumni, and campus stakeholders called for their resignations. As of this recording, Penn President Liz McGill has stepped down, as has the university's board chair, while Harvard just announced that Harvard President Claudine Gay will stay at the helm. In response to skyrocketing reports of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on college and university campuses, The Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights has opened over 10 Title VI investigations concerning discrimination based on shared ancestry at colleges and universities. Institutions under investigation include Columbia, Harvard, Penn, Tulane, University of Cincinnati, and University of Tampa. Title VI of the Civil Rights Act requires federally funded institutions to protect students from discrimination based on race, color, or national origin. The Education Department has said this includes Jews, Muslims, and other ethnic or religious groups with, quote, shared ancestry, unquote. In late November, the Brandeis Center and Jewish Americans for Fairness in Education sued the UC system, Berkeley Law School, and its leaders, alleging the, quote, longstanding, unchecked spread of anti-Semitism, unquote. In response, Berkeley issued a statement which said in part, While we appreciate the concerns expressed by the Brandeis Center, UC Berkeley believes the claims made in the lawsuit are not consistent with the First Amendment of the Constitution or with the facts of what is actually happening on our campus, close quote. Although attention has been focused on issues related to the Israel-Hamas war, threats to the academy continue to mount in the form of state legislation aimed at restricting the teaching of certain subjects. Penn America's most recent publication on these education gag orders report that legislators are shifting tactics. Rather than focusing efforts on directly censoring professors, legislators are instead targeting the academic support system, including faculty unions, accreditors, and governing boards. Penn divided the proposed legislation into four categories, curricular control bills, tenure restrictions, DEI bans, and accreditation restrictions. While Penn notes that resistance to education restrictions is growing, the good news, so will the ongoing escalation of attacks on the academy, especially in light of next year's general election, the bad news. We need to make sure we stay vigilant, lest we lose focus on these types of challenges while we face others. Now back to today's guests. Jeannie Kim is the system-wide director for student mental health and well-being at the UC Office of the President. She started her career as a student intern for the Women's Leadership Initiative at Penn State, which sparked her passion for student programs, services, and supports. In 2010, she wrapped up her Master's in Public Policy program and started her professional career at UC Santa Barbara, working alongside students to develop and implement harm reduction approaches to substance use and misuse. Her most memorable was working on a new initiative called gaucho fyi to help orient students to the unique campus culture of ucsb where she received the citation of excellence award for her work on this initiative in 2015, Jeannie took on the role of Director of Well-Being at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. In this role, she worked alongside students, staff, and faculty to infuse the campus with a culture of well-being and belonging. In 2020, Jeannie joined the UC Office of the President and has helped steward the system-wide equity and mental health framework, which ensures a wide range of services and supports are provided to students across the behavioral health continuum of care. Katcha Armistead, a UCSB graduate, wow, Gaucho so well represented, is the Assistant Vice Chancellor and Dean of Student Life at UC Santa Barbara. She's been working in student life at UCSB since 2007. In 2015, Katcha was appointed as Dean of Student Life. Her most memorable contributions to student life include working with groups of students to bring their ideas for events and initiatives to fruition, especially in the wake of adversity, crisis, and even tragedy. Her aspirations for the near future in her role are to foster increased collaboration among student life units and to foster a sense of campus community such that all students feel they truly belong. Kacha received her doctorate in educational leadership from a joint program between UCSB and Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Kacha has been part of the center community as an indispensable partner and as a voice grantee since 2021, using voice funds to start the Civic Engagement Scholars Program alongside colleague Viviana Marsana. I want to start by extending a special thank you to both of you. I know what a challenging, fraught, and overwhelming time it is on campuses, and how busy both of you are working to support students and the community, and I'm grateful that you're willing to take the time to talk with me today.
2: Thank you, Michelle. It's great to be here, and it's great because I know Jeannie from when she worked at UCSB, so...
1: Well, I was going to say you both kind of like had this UCSB Cal Poly trajectory. So, you know, it 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 is a coincidence that the two of you are now coming together now, but a very fortuitous coincidence. So usually, I like to start a conversation with guests by hearing a little bit about their origin stories, right, their journeys, what path took you to where you are now. And so I'd love to start by asking each of you, what made you want to focus your professional lives on working with and supporting college students? And Katja, why don't you kick it off? Sure, thanks. I knew early on
2: as a younger professional or just getting my profession started that I wanted to work with young people and college aged students seemed like a really good place to land. Um, I think as a black woman, mixed race woman, uh, attending college in the eighties, it was tough. I really struggled as a student of color. And so one of my very clear goals when I, got my first job here at UC Santa Barbara is I wanted to make a difference and create a campus culture that was really welcoming to students of color. And so I was really inspired by that desire to do so. And so it makes sense that I'm where I am now. And how I got here was really focusing on students. Thank you
1: so much. How about you, Jeannie?
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I am,
0: you know, a first generation student, Asian-American woman and also a former student athlete. And so when I went to undergrad and I was born and raised in California, when I went to undergrad at Penn State all the way across the country to experience something completely brand new, it was really my opportunity to kind of learn and grow. And I had always wanted to be in a helping profession. So whether it was helping um, children at risk, um, or whether it was helping young adults or transitional aged youth, I knew that being with people was something um, that was really close and near and dear to my heart. And so when I had the opportunity to intern as um, within the Women's Leadership Initiative, That was my first step into seeing what goes on behind the scenes in higher ed and how different programs and initiatives can really help individuals launch into their professional careers and help shape where they go and support them as human beings right Um, and so when i got my first professional job at uc santa barbara i got to work alongside peer educators and students And they just filled me with so much love and um, excitement and energy. And I loved that piece of the job, seeing the growth of an individual, right, who's learning about a different subject matter area, growing into their leadership and their power, right? And advocating for resources and services and supports for the things that they cared about the most. And Uh, doing so in a compassionate and understanding way, I was hooked. I really loved that environment of working alongside our student leaders um, and pairing that with being able to provide services and supports on a college campus. And I haven't looked back since.
1: Thank you both uh, for sharing. I can still feel the excitement that you both feel when you talk about your work, which I think especially at this moment when a lot of Folks in administration and higher education are feeling burnt out and are moving on. It's really nice to hear. Um, I will digress for one second, Jeannie, because I feel like I need to ask you what your sport was.
0: I was a collegiate swimmer. So um, as you can imagine, going to Penn State, the most exciting thing was coming back to my dorm room after an early morning practice and my hair being frozen and being like, oh, my gosh, my hair's frozen. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was a collegiate swimmer.
1: That's awesome. Um, A topic for another time. And yes, the first time I moved to the East Coast, I did the same thing. I went out with wet hair and then it froze. So all of us Californians. So, you know, as I sort of set out at the at the top of the episode, this is a moment where a lot of people on campus and, you know, in the world need support. And I know that supporting students can be very individual. And can take a lot of different forms, whether that's through counseling, by showing up at events, just even being there in a listening capacity. And I'm wondering if each of you can talk a little bit about what support looks like right now, given the current moment. And Jeannie, why not you start?
0: Yeah, I think this is a really critical moment in time where folks are looking um, for different types of support. I think oftentimes when we think, Um, Individuals are experiencing a crisis um, or a challenging traumatic event um, that's happening around us where we don't necessarily have control of the situation, it can be really tricky and challenging to navigate that when you're alone, right? Um, And I think what support looks like right now is finding community. So finding or seeking out whatever community feels most comfortable for you as an individual human being, right? Where you feel a sense of safety, trust, support, compassion, um, you know, where, where you can be yourself and express what those feelings are and be able to have dialogue with folks that you feel safe having that conversation with. So I would say first and foremost, what types of communities are available for individuals? And then if it becomes, you know, a, an, a point in time where it really is impacting your everyday life, where it's challenging for you to get up in the morning or you're experiencing trauma, Um, and triggers and different things where it's impacting maybe your academics or work, right? Um, Then there's more additional services and supports in the more clinical counseling realm that could help support an individual who may be experiencing more severe mental health challenges, right? Um, But it's on a spectrum. We know that there's harm. We know that folks are hurting. It, It looks differently for each individual. And so being able to... Uh, Find that sense of community and then seek out additional resources and supports, if necessary, are, are really great options.
1: And it's almost like you planned um, my lead-in to Katja, because when you talk about community, I know that's so much of what Katja as Dean of Students does, which is helping to build that community. And I imagine that in this exact moment, it is likely very challenging. And so Katja, I'd love to hear from you about what support looks like from your student affairs seat. Supporting
2: student looks like um, having meetings with them, showing up to their events, Uh, I'm responsible for a demonstration response team, which is student affairs professional that are around and visible and um, bear witness to protest, to support students through that, to advocate for their free speech. I think for me, it's all about listening and being present, showing up, letting them know that I'm here, even if they're angry at me. I still just show up. Students who feel a particular way about something will ask for a meeting with me and maybe the vice chancellor. We are always ready and willing to do that, even when it's really hard. I've been yelled at quite a bit and I take a deep breath and know that they are letting off steam. And sometimes, especially at this time, they don't have another place to blow off that steam and they they expect something of us in terms of making them feel better on our campus. And so if I can just at least sit there and listen to them and then get them to a place where then we can start talking about resources, next steps, what actions can they do? Um, I would say what's important for me to, be, to show up for them is to pay attention. To what is going on, what is happening on the campus climate, what's happening in the world that is triggering them. And I do that through um, staying on top of things, listening to podcasts, reading, hearing students' stories, and showing up in those ways, I think is helpful and supportive for students. It's time, it's spending time with them. You know, even when I'm following a protest by a particular group of folks who uh, want to express themselves. It's me seeing the other students watching this, seeing the hurt on their face or the confusion and stopping and checking in with them. How are you doing? Um, This this could be really hard for you. Do you have to be here? Do you need to be here? You know, how can I support you as this protest is going on? So it's so about being present and listening.
1: Two things that I know a lot of us endeavor to do just in our day-to-day life. And it's hard enough when there isn't an ongoing, you know, geopolitical crisis and kind of um, crisis on campus. You know, I was thinking about, the last bunch of years on campuses, right? Whether it was sort of following the 2016 election, you know, following the murder of George Floyd, the pandemic, and there has been a lot of challenge. And I'm wondering if you're finding that what students need now in in this moment of, you know, the Israel-Hamas war is different or similar to what students have needed in other crisis moments.
2: I would say that it is very similar in some ways and very different in other ways. It's similar that number one, listening, communicating, looking for ways to provide support, continuing to educate yourself and what is going on. For me, I am Dean of all students. So it's never about taking sides. It's being neutral, which can be problematic and really difficult, especially that's something that's different right now. Using the George Floyd murder as an example, as a black woman, Um, very comfortable, you know, with the statement and the passion around Black Lives Matter. That was part, that's part of my identity. Feeling very good about that is the right side to be on. Um, not really having to talk a lot about how I was feeling or whatever, but being able to show up and support students as they protested, as they expressed themselves. Um, And, you know, navigating any kind of conflict or, you know, being able to say, you know, white supremacy is an issue, is a problem. So the comfortability of relating to that, talking about it, supporting students during that time, this is where the differences of this time. This is so much more nuanced, so much more complicated. Um, And so supporting students through this feels really, really different in that respect. Uh, This is where I definitely act on my mantra and live the mantra, which I always try to do, but I'm real clear about that and very transparent that it's not about me taking sides. It's where can I support a student or a group of students as they are grappling through what is going on and how they are feeling. And that can be complicated too, because, you know, We'll probably talk about social media and there is a cry for pick a side. You have to pick a side. And that's that's not what I'm about. I'm going to stay educated. I'm going to be reading. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to have conversations. But what now, what my call is now is to make sure a student's event happens, that they're supported, that it's not interfered with, that a protest can happen. So I'd say the biggest difference in terms of what I am seeing and the role that I'm playing is being there for all students. Even when I see how triggered and frustrated they are, and maybe they do some things that they shouldn't be, and then having those conversations. Do do you really need to do that? Do you need to say that? Is that helping what do you need? You know, how can you express yourself in a more productive way? Uh, Having a lot of conversations about civil discourse, taking a break. Do you really need to be here? This is really triggering. A lot's going on right now. Um, So it's asking questions, it's supporting, uh, and it is harder to do right now. It is really much more complicated and way more nuanced than in other issues that I've helped with. Even with the election, with Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, that was a really challenging time on campus as well and and more uh, divided. More like now compared to the George Floyd um, situation. However, it was a little bit more uh, more simple.
1: I can only imagine how difficult it is because we're in a m- moment in, in our country, but also in this particular situation where it's very binary. You're either yeah. with us or against us. Um, and I can also imagine, and you know, you can think about this while I let Jeannie kind of respond to the question before, was just, it's also a challenge because I know some students feel like the university by speaking out and using their institutional voices that the university has taken aside, whether that is a- you know, act- accurate or not, that that's their perception. And so I can imagine that also makes it difficult because you are a representative of the university, right? Whether it's just UCSB or UCOP. Jeannie, what what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I'll just add, I think, you know, speaking to this moment in time and thinking about the cohort of students who've experienced um, multiple traumatic events, you know, kind of succinctly one after the other, I think this moment in time is unique in that they've experienced, um, you know, the murder of George Floyd, the pandemic and needing to navigate a national public health crisis on top of the various traumatic events that are happening currently. Right. And I I think about it in terms of if I'm a student who may hold one of those identities, experiencing the campus, right, um, for what it is and trying to find the the folks or the helpers or the staff or the faculty that I can have conversations about this with, right? Or maybe it's, I feel more comfortable talking to my family at home about these political issues or, or the challenges that are happening. And I just imagine that if I hold multiple identities Um, that (laughs) span all of these areas, it can be even more challenging, right? Um, And so I just feel that there's quite a bit of um, trauma that's happening just in general with all of these different things um, that are occurring on our campuses. And it's different because it's not just, you know, a a mental health challenge. Um, And so when we talk with our counseling directors and we talk about what do students need right now in this moment. And it's students are, are struggling right now. Right. And they could be in a, in a state of, I'm just angry. Right. And it's okay to have feelings of anger in this moment. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Right. But you have to kind of go through the process of, um, grief or, or the challenges, right, that you you move through or the different stages that you move through when when there's a challenging um, or upsetting situation, right? And so folks aren't in that readiness of change perspective. We hear folks say, well, we need to have, we need to bring two sides together and we need to have discussion and dialogue about that. And they're not quite ready for that to happen, right? There's harm that's been done, whether it's uh, mistrust with leadership and between leadership and students. It's just a, a lot's going on at the same time, right? And I think it's a reminder for us to kind of pause in these moments of crises, right? When when things get kind of when things bubble up to the surface, and there's just so much tension that's there, and folks make various decisions, right? As Katya was mentioning before. Uh, And and it's it becomes so heated that folks may make, you know, poor choices in that moment. And then all of a sudden, that poor choice turns into another unintended consequence that kind of snowballs into this, you know, um, cause and effect relationship. And I think if I would make any recommendations about this moment in time because of that, it's how do we give ourselves grace? How do we slow down and pause um, how do we, you know, think about how we're showing up to these different spaces as Katya had mentioned previously, right. Um, with intentionality, with checking ourselves and our emotions and taking care of ourselves first and foremost. Right. Um, and I think that's part of the the piece or that tension that ends up happening when there have been multiple um, situations that have occurred over a, a short period of time. And I mean, I would say what it's only been about five years during this time span, and so many crisis incidents have happened in that time span. So, how do we kind of pause and, you know, just take care of ourselves with kindness and
2: compassion in these moments of crises? I just want to uplift that, Jeannie, in, in naming that you know we all have but the focus at least for us in our jobs is students that they have gone through so much over the last 5 years you know and so this time is just fraught with also pent up frustration and anger and um just a little bit of despair so i th- i thought that was really good that you uplifted that
1: i think pausing in a world where the expectation is immediacy, and instant gratification is a very challenging, so you both have touched on so many of the things that I want to get to. Right, social media, self care. But before that, I I want to ask. A, um, I don't know if this is going to sound weird, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about. What are things that obviously you're so focused on helping students? What are things students can do to help you help them? Right. So I've heard a lot of students talk about how they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. And that's a very despairing emotion, but it isn't very specific. And so I wonder what kinds of questions might you be asking, you know, them or how can you speak to them and say, what would help us um, be able to really direct you know our focus so that we can really be honing in on what it is that you need
0: i think one of it's it's hard because when i when we're put in that place i never want to put more burden on our students to tell us what they need so i'm just going to name that um but at the same time i think if if anything so if I'm an individual student and there's a particular ask or I'm I'm working with, you know, a faculty member or a staff member and I'm struggling that day, right? Is there a way to open up dialogue and conversation to be a little bit vulnerable and say, I'm having a tough day today, right? And you don't have to go into detail, right? I think, um, you know, disclosing information is very personal and some folks have, you know, a higher tolerance or are very open books and very open-minded about being able to share what's happening. Um, But I think as human beings, oftentimes we're too scared to be a little bit vulnerable to share what's happening in our own personal lives. Um, I think as a society, we've kind of set us up for failure where we have to put on these masks and show up and be brave and um, kind of perpetuated these assumptions or these social norms that it's it's um not okay to be not okay or it's okay <laughs> i'm getting that terminology mixed up but it, um you know so if there's a way to be a little bit more vulnerable and share what you're feeling sharing how you know if somebody said something that harmed you or hurt your feelings say hey that hurt my feelings right um so being able to communicate or articulate some of the conflict that's happening um, and being a little bit vulnerable. And I would say similarly on the other side of um, the coin, us as leaders also need to be a little bit vulnerable and share with others when we feel uncomfortable or, you know, uh, reconcile. I'm thinking about reconciliation and how we have those conversations and say, you know, I'm so sorry, I said the wrong term, right? So oftentimes there's so much that's happening. We say we we may say something, you know, quickly because we're responding and it might not be the appropriate response, or um, somebody's stressed and you may say something, and, and maybe later on you're reflecting on that and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way, or I shouldn't have responded that way, right? So being able to pause and come back and, and reconcile that with somebody that you've had a conversation with, I think can be so helpful when there's misunderstandings, when there's conflict, and when there's challenges. So just being a little bit more vulnerable and checking in with ourselves and checking in with others um, about different uh, scenarios or situations that we're
1: placed in. Thank you. Gotcha. Yeah,
2: well, I'm going to focus on uh, student activists and student leaders because they're the ones that I interact with the most. And I think that they have a lot of influence on other students. And so you really have to talk to them about self-care it's so critical because they have this huge sense of responsibility that they are leading they are stepping up they are modeling what needs to be done they're helping you know put out there the injustices you know how students are feeling and so they're creating a lot of space for students which can be wonderful you know i think they grow a lot um I just only imagine what they're going to do next after they graduate from college. But then it the, the other side of that is they're worn out. They're exhausted. My role, I feel, is that I really need to get to them and say, okay, have you taken a break? You don't have to carry the load. Just to remind them that what you're doing is important. It's It's amazing. You are an amazing leader. So let them know that they're doing good work. And then what are you doing to take care of yourself? How are you feeling? Um, what do you need? Get them to take that break, to relax for a moment. Uh, do you really need to be here? Can someone else step up? What, you know? Have you gone to class? <laughs> Did you get your homework and your reading done? Even more importantly, are you sleeping? Are you eating? And so trying to get to those leaders, those activists, those people who are working really hard on behalf of their community, those are the ones that I'll hone in on. The last piece that I'll say when I'm connecting with them, getting them to think about where they can slow down or take a break, take a breath, is we hear a lot, like, I don't feel safe. And so, okay, what does safety look like like to you? You know, get them to define the words that they're using as well. And that's where you can get more inklings or they hear themselves define it and ask the questions to figure out how they can take a role and responsibility for self-care. Because we, there's a lot of verbiage out there. You know, language is an interesting thing and we all have different definitions what, of what a word means. So get them to articulate that so that then you can have a real conversation about how to support them and how they can support themselves, but they have to name it. And so, you know, what does safety look like? Um, You know, let's think about the words that you're using. And that will also influence the folks that are following you so you can make sure that they're taking a break. Do you really want all of these students here in this space that can be really triggering? Let's let's think about that, too, and use that time wisely so that you are taking care of the students that are following you. So those are the things that come to mind for me.
1: And those are all very helpful. And you use the word verbiage and definitions. And I think that's a great segue to come back to speech and sort of expression and discourse, which, of course, is at the heart of what the center does. And, you know, Kachi anticipated this earlier about social media. And I'm going to preface this by telling you that I am. Have a bias against social media i'm just not sure that the benefits outweigh the downsides especially as it pertains to discourse and especially as it pertains to a particular crisis moment like this and i'm wondering if either of you has seen an impact on student wellness um, and well-being um, because of the increased reliance and use of social media um, how that dynamic has changed things
0: uh, I, I think social media has had its benefits in um, providing connection, right, and networks and and as you're using it as an opportunity to, you know, stay connected with people and in touch with people. Um, but what I have seen is the unhealthy, you know, impacts of social media on students' lives, whether it's. I'm staying up until 1, 2, 3 AM in the morning and I'm con- I'm a consumer now of the media that's being presented to me, right? Or that there aren't filters or now I have access to 24 um, seven information and timely information, which can be helpful but it can also be harmful, right? And so, um, you know, for me and thinking about uh, providing any advice related to social media. Sometimes I tell, you know, colleagues and students themselves, you know, taking a social media break can be really helpful, right, for your mental well-being, um, especially when we're consuming so much information and, and it can be misinformation or include misinformation in there, but it can heighten um, feelings of anxiety, it can heighten depression, it can heighten Um, It can even produce social isolation also because you're relying on social media to be connected and may not actually physically connect with other people. Um, The one thing, though, that I've definitely heard from our students is I've seen a big shift in a lot of our students taking a break from social media as well, where they recognize that it can be harmful for them and their well-being. So I think... You know, it's definitely another one of those things where you have to have a balanced approach to your exposure to it. And you also have to be informed about, you know, how it can be helpful, but how it can be harmful to one's well-being. And I'll stop there and I'll ask Katya to also add her thoughts.
2: Oh, social media. (laughs) Uh, Lots of reports of feeling hurt, triggered. Um, you know, all the isms, anti-Semitism, racism, um, Islamophobia, all the things. Um, and so from my lens as dean of student life, I get reports all the time. This was on social media. This group is being anti-Semitic, this groom is group is being racist. Um, and so it's it's fraught. It's it's really hard. I have social media. Um I'm old, though. Most of my social media is my students who've gotten married or have babies or new careers. And I love social media for that. Friends from a long time ago following them. Wonderful stuff. Um, I also learn a lot about what students are thinking on social media. I learn about events. I learn a lot about protests and demonstrations so that we can be prepared. So it can be really helpful for me, but it can be really triggering and fraught with anger and, you know, um, thoughts about harm someone else is inflicting social media is, you know, it's how many characters depending on what platform you're on and so it could also be misread. It doesn't give someone the opportunity to really explain themselves. It's not about asking questions, it's about making statements. A lot of statements on social media. This group is supporting this group and this is why, and that again is triggering. So I love it and I hate it and it's hard. Um, But just like Jeannie said, it's, it's encouraging students to take breaks. Um, do you have to read everything? Remind them that it it takes a lot of time to stay up on everything and they got a lot of work to do. So, you know, maybe take a break so that you can get your work done and be a successful student. Um, oh, cancel culture. You know, you say one run wrong thing or it's read incorrectly on social media and that severs relationships. that could be, and it's really harmful to community building. So those are the things that I will talk to students about Um, I asked them, you know, to think before they post, is it saying what you think it says, maybe get feedback from someone else before you do that. I had to have that kind of advice a long time ago, not realizing the consequences of something that I, I had written on social media. So, you know, I hope that we can be honest with our students and and share our thoughts in terms of how it comes off. And, you know, when I read that, this is, this, this is what I'm, I'm seeing. Is that what you meant? Um, So thinking about the consequences, why they're posting, what they need, taking breaks, you know, everything you said, Jeannie, I think is important, but I see it alive and well used in activism and that's good and bad and it's triggering.
1: No. And I appreciate that very balanced answer after my not balanced um, introduction. You know, there's so much about um, authenticity and vulnerability and the importance of those things. And yet it seems especially difficult in a moment when if something is misread or goes viral or is forwarded, that there isn't really space for that sort of learning laboratory that ideally we would like that um, to be in an educational environment. You know, we've talked a lot about what's happening now while we're sort of in the thick of this, but I do want to spend a couple moments thinking about the future. And I know Jeannie already alluded to this, which is that, you know, when emotions are raw and tensions are running high, it's really can be challenging to think about bringing people together and rebuilding trust, both between groups and between students and the institution. But I'd like to believe that at some point, and I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later, we're going to have to pick up the pieces um, from this particular crisis and begin to work to repair and heal um, at all different levels of relationships. And I'm wondering what role you see yourselves and your teams um, playing in this.
2: Yeah, that <laughs> modeling self-care, thats I need to work on that. That is hard. It is hard being one of the first responders to things. But I do talk a lot about what's important to me and what, what helps me. I try to model that as much as possible. I'm a big morning walker. I exercise, um, You know, talking about those types of habits and really supporting staff and figuring out what works for them. Is helpful. But I also talk to my students. I teach two classes. So I get in there with students and I ask them what their self-care is. Um, Before my leadership class, we always practice two-minute morning, which really is two-minute week. And it asks three questions. What are you going to let go of this week? What are you grateful for? And what are you going to focus on? And I have them take a few minutes just to journal that and then talk at their tables and share what those are, and then do a little share out. And um, just trying to help them create that habit has been really wonderful and and getting them to kind of settle in and think about and hearing that when they share out what they're letting go of the stress of this. um, Can't stop thinking about this mistake I I made. I need to let that go kind of thing to being productive. Like I need to stop procrastinating, (laughs) that kind of stuff. I think the other piece is You don't have to do it all. Who else can you enlist to help? Maybe you don't show up to that particular protest, or maybe you empower someone else to step up, have them get the experience. You know, same thing for staff. And that's what I have gotten so much better at over the years. Demonstration response team, it used to just be me that went to every single protest. I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. This is really hard. Other staff might want to have the opportunity to learn how to do this and be part of this team. And so I have created teams and that has been wonderful and and empowered others to step up.
1: Thanks, Katja. Jeannie?
0: I think when I think about recovery, right? So a crisis incident happens and communities need to recover from um, that crisis incident that's happened, um, that's harmed the community. I think it takes time you know time to repair time to reconnect time to reset where we are right and oftentimes we don't allow that time for recovery or maybe we don't even have the opportunity to do it because another crisis has happened right so when i think about the scenario of our staff being in that in the thick of it and it's constant right and earlier we talked a little bit about burnout we talked about how you know, some of our staff are leaving the profession because they just it's just too much. There isn't enough infrastructure built in there to support them. Um, it feels tenuous. like the expectation is that our professional staff need to be available twenty four seven to respond to crises that happen on our campuses. And so I just want to make sure that we pause and think about, you know, our, our students themselves are bringing up concerns, challenges, you know, telling university leaders um, uh, uh, what, what's happening for them. And then university leaders themselves are also responding, but also you know, experiencing harm and trauma themselves too. So how do you hold those two identities? I'm a responder, but I may also be experiencing the trauma myself. And how do I care for myself? And how do I recover in these moments so that I can show up and be available? Um, to support my role, the students that I care so deeply about, because that's why we're here and we show up every day and then fulfill the mission of the University of California and the different campuses or whatever higher ed setting it might be. Um, because there's still classes that need to be taught and there's still work that needs to be done. And, you know, thinking about all of those things, right? Um, And so when I think about recovery time and what that looks like, it's different for everyone. And as Katya was saying, you know, putting um, that oxygen mask on yourself, having really good boundaries is one of the things that I think is so important in figuring what those boundaries are. They may look differently for different people and people recover differently. It's kind of like that whole, I'm an introvert versus I'm an extrovert perspective, right? Some people are rejuvenated by being in community with people and some people rejuvenate by being by themselves and retreating, right? And so finding out what works best for you. Um, But I do want to make sure that we, you know, think about how we recover as communities too, not just as individual human beings and how do we, as different leaders in our roles and responsibilities, whether you're a student, staff or faculty, right? How do we ensure that there's time for recovery and repair um, so that we can rebuild trust and so that we can be on the same page or we can better show up and support one another as a community, as a whole. So I think that's kind of where I wanted to add my perspectives there.
1: I am so appreciative of both of you, not just because you took the time, but because these are really hard things to talk about. And, you know, it would have been easy to do another episode on the legality of speech, and there will be plenty of time for discussions of that. But I think it's important as a as a center dedicated to expression that we you know, acknowledge the impact that, I mean, not everything that's happening on campus is speech, but a lot of it is, and a lot of it is protected speech. And I think we have to acknowledge and discuss what the impact of that can be. And, you know, going back to I can't remember which of you said this, this idea of responsibility that just because well, I was just saying, you know, you don't have to post. Think before you post. And I think it's the same thing, right? Helping not just students, but all stakeholders in a campus and reminding them that just because you have the right to say something doesn't mean you should. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And. You both have been so generous with your advice and recommendations. And as you know, um, the majority of our listeners, I think, are staff and administrators at institutions of higher ed. And so I don't know if there's just one more thing. It can be something you already said. It can be something you didn't have a chance to say that folks can take to their communities um, to help support well-being around sort of the stress and trauma that is a result specifically maybe of this, like, ugly speech that we're seeing all around us. So if there's maybe one thing to kind of close out, um that would be great.
2: One thing I can I say a couple things.
1: <laughs> you it's can, okay. but try try to really prioritize. Okay. Prioritize.
2: Um I just this la- a couple of days ago was at a system-wide meeting with all of the UC ABCs and Dina students. And so I asked them about this. So Um, some things that came up were, we need to remind and educate ourselves about what free speech is. I think that this discourse about what we can say, what's protected, what's not, is a really healthy way to move forward so that we have a better understanding of what can happen. And that is so important to share with our faculty, staff, and students. And I think it is a way to bring people together to have productive civil discourse. What's happening right now in the world is so tough. And it. It's too hard to touch right now in terms of trying to unpack that and bring folks together to actually discuss just that. But I think this is a way to move us forward and bring people together and to wrestle with it and interrogate it. Someone said, uh, I think it was one of the attorneys, the UC attorneys that was in the room with us said, you know, think about what five, 10 years ago we would not do today. Put, what kind of poster we would put on the wall or someone could put on the wall that we wouldn't even consider doing that today. So the nuances, the understanding, that conversation I think is maybe a way forward to provide opportunities to model, to um, exchange ideas. And um, student affairs is in the heart of it with students. You know, we, we're trying to discuss um, respect space, you know, room for for groups for individuals on the campus support for them. And I think that the other way to move forward is to get more involved on the academic side and have faculty um, lead some of these conversations, model civil discourse um you know reach across the aisle do more <laughs> and I and what I'm gonna do, Especially in the new year, is to have more deep conversations with faculty, and and continue to learn and encourage folks to get involved in a productive way. And just like this podcast, not get into the weeds of what's going on, but what's around it. How are we creating a fertile ground for relationship building and ways to have solid conversations? Then we're going to be able to have more empathy for the difference. So that's what my concrete action is. And and in different ways, I hope that helps people think about, well, what can we be doing different? What can we talk about that still could be hard, but is moving us forward?
1: Well, you know, on the free speech education piece, you know, I'm right there. So there's no pressure, Jeannie, but I think you get the final word. I think
0: the... In the last week, something really resonated me in the various meetings that we've had, and it's really listening to our students and giving them an opportunity to share um, what their experiences are. And we had the opportunity or the pleasure of having our UC Student Association president and our UC Graduate Professional Council president share some remarks with a leadership group about what our students are experiencing on our campuses. And while um, they also disclose that they're not able to, you know, reflect all the different details that are happening across our system and what our students may be experiencing. And what I had heard from our students was a sentiment that we're moving too fast, right? We're, we're moving too fast to solve the problem. And we haven't paused to actually talk about what the problem is and unpack the problem. And to to I wholeheartedly believe in what Katya was just saying. We need to slow down and have those conversations to unpack it in order for us to have that discourse and to talk through how we respond in these moments, right? I, I think it, it kind of resonates with me as a, a mental health and well-being practitioner um, is when you have these crucial conversations, you can't rush through, you know, solving the problem. And it really is pausing, having compassion, care, showing up with empathy and having those crucial conversations and giving space for those crucial conversations to happen rather than it be a top-down approach or up, you know, whatever it might be.
1: Well, both of you have sort of highlighted a lot of the same themes and threads. And some of what I hear is listen, pause and reflect. And I think it's very interesting, you know, to be having taken the legal lens away and put a different lens on sort of what we come up with. And I think that's important. And I am absolutely confident that the people who are lucky enough to hear this episode will be better equipped to help themselves and to help other people on campus. And so I again just want to extend my gratitude and appreciation to both of you.
2: Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for Melanie and thank you, Jeannie. This was really, really enjoyable. Agreed. Thank
0: you all so much for hosting this podcast and um, bringing forward an opportunity to look at this from a different perspective or a different lens.
1: This episode marks the end of season two of the Speech Matters podcast. We are grateful for you listening throughout the year and look forward to more dynamic conversations in 2024. If you have ideas for a topic you'd like discussed on Speech Matters, send us an email at freespeechcenter at uci.edu. Wishing everyone a happy holiday season and we'll talk to you in the new year.